0: Today, we are excited to bring you a special episode of Expanding the Continuum that was co-sponsored by Health Partners on IPV and Exploitation, a project of futures without violence focused on HERSA-funded community health centers. Stay tuned at the end of the episode for more info.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Expanding the Continuum. Today we will be talking about Ryan White programs all things Ryan White, especially as they pertain to intimate partner violence. We'll be talking about the opportunities that Ryan White funds offer for community health centers that are interested in advancing their intimate partner violence response in their settings. Also, uh, listeners who are working in domestic violence programs, I think will benefit a lot from hearing about the possibilities, the opportunities of partnering with these same community health centers um, who who are thinking about these issues. Today, I am delighted to be talking with Dr. Dana Hines, who works at the HIV AIDS Bureau at HRSA, or the Health Resources and Services Administration.
0: And uh, I'm gonna go ahead and invite you to introduce yourself, Dana. Thank you so much. So I serve as the Nurse Consultant to the Office of the Director in the Division of Community HIV-AIDS Programs, which is within the HIV-AIDS Bureau at HRSA, and in this role, I serve as a Senior Clinical Advisor and provide clinical expertise of HIV care and treatment to shape the policy and direction of the division. Additionally, Mm -hmm. I assist in planning, developing, monitoring and implement, implementing and evaluating current or projected health programs of national significance with, for people with HIV.
1: So I'd love to begin by hearing from you um, just to, to elaborate a little on any work within the Ryan White program that is already addressing um, or working to prevent intimate or gendered violence. Mm-hmm. Can we begin there? Just a little landscape of of where things are at the Ryan White Program?
0: Sure. I'm happy to talk about that. So there are several initiatives that the Ryan White HIV AIDS Program has in place to address and prevent intimate and gender violence. Um, and, and I wanted to highlight just a few of those. So in October of 2020, our division, the Division of Community HIV-AIDS Programs, which we also refer to as DCHAP, we hosted a national stakeholder webinar. They focused on intimate partner violence and HIV during the COVID-19 pandemic. And our stakeholder calls typically have between three and 400 uh, participants, all of which are Ryan White, HIV AIDS program grant recipients, and it's a great way to disseminate information on best practices. So during this webinar in particular, we featured three grant recipients, one of which was Futures Without Violence. And Mm -hmm. in this webinar, you know, we highlighted promising interventions and approaches for addressing intimate partner violence um, among people with HIV during the, the pandemic, And additionally, this stakeholder call discussed how stay-at-home guidelines exacerbated pre-existing IPV risk and vulnerabilities and provided clinicians some strategies of how they could better screen for that during the remote clinical environment that they were in. Mm -hmm. And in addition to that, uh, HRSA has funded or is currently funding several activities and programs that focus on the intersection of HIV and trauma in women. And there are are three in particular that I just wanted to talk about. Um, The first Mm -hmm. was a technical expert panel that was conducted in 2015. And the purpose of this technical expert panel was to discuss models of care and strategies for improving care of women who were served by the Ryan White HIV AIDS program. And the second was the development or support of the development of a trauma-informed toolkit that was produced by the National Alliance of State and Territorial AIDS Directors, or mm-hmm. NASTAD. And for this project, I serve as a federal expert on, served as a federal expert on the latest iteration of this toolkit, which covers the basics of trauma and provides practical steps for developing and implementing a plan for delivering trauma-informed prevention and care services to people with HIV. And then the, the last example that I wanted to highlight here is um, a Ryan White HIV AIDS program special projects of national significance, which mm-hmm. we also refer to as BINS. Um And one mm-hmm. in particular was one that supported women of color with HIV. And this HERSA had funded project called We Care, or Women Empowered to Connect and Remain Engaged in Care, addressed mm-hmm. individual level barriers to care, Especially stigma, and provided linkage and support to women of color in Chicago who were newly diagnosed with HIV or who were new to care, and those who were struggling with remaining engaged in care.
1: So, I you sort of mentioned this, or I think already, but I'd love for you to explain what What do you mean by Ryan White Part D funding? What is What is Part D funding for? Mm-hmm.
0: So one thing I wanted to share about our Ryan White uh, HIV AIDS program is that it's been around for over 30 years, and we provide care to more than half of people with HIV in the United States. And of those individuals who are receiving care through the HIV AIDS services program, more than 89% um, are the, of them are virally suppressed meaning that they effectively have no risk of transmitting HIV to their partners. Um, And despite the Ryan White HIV AIDS program being around for over 30 years, you know, there are many people who could benefit from the quality of our services, but they're unaware that the Ryan White program even exists. So this podcast will help raise awareness about the Ryan White HIV AIDS program. And some examples of services that are funded under the Ryan White HIV AIDS Part D program include linkage to comprehensive HIV medical care, pre- and postnatal care, and transition back to primary medical HIV care following delivery. Additionally, Part D funds um, provide um, funding for domestic violence awareness and screening Outpatient mental health screening, assessment and treatment, um, as well as treatment, outpatient um, treatment for substance use disorder. And additionally, um, to further support women with children who have HIV and need to get to their medical Mm -hmm. visits. uh, Transportation and child care assistance is also provided um, in order to support access, women getting access to their HIV appointments. And then it also funds... Services such as case management and psychosocial support. Um, mm. But what I, yeah, and, and what I think is like really unique about our Part D program, again, is that it, it not only provides care to women, infants, and children who themselves have HIV, but also affected family members. So, for example, dependent children of persons with HIV. So you can see like our Part D program, it's very comprehensive, and it addresses Mm -hmm. not only the medical components of HIV care, but also the social determinants of health.
1: Yeah, and when we think about the sort of comorbidities associated between HIV and IPV, in the sense that the ways that one epidemic drives the other epidemic, you know, um, the response needs to be more universal, and I, I really appreciate how Part D funding looks like it has the potential to provide these kinds of wraparound services and and meet people where they are. So I'd love to drill down a little. You mentioned that, you know, it can be used for um, preventing domestic violence or sort of, I guess, looking at that place where domestic violence and and HIV vulnerability kind of intersect Mm -hmm. Um, and or or lack of access to care, maybe more explicitly. Mm -hmm. Can we get a little more specific about how our Part D funds or other Ryan White funds can are being used more specifically to address violence and the sort of, like you described, the social determinants of health, the intersecting issues. I, I know you touched on some things like childcare. Just curious if there's some examples you can offer us for, for our mm-hmm. listeners to kind of imagine how they might use these resources in their communities.
0: So I think the one thing to really keep in mind about. The Ryan White HIV AIDS program, all of our programs, um, but Part D, because we're talking about that, is that, again, you know, we fund programs and our Part C and D program um, funds clinics. So we are funding, you know, clinics that are on the front lines, providing care directly to um, people, families and communities that are impacted by HIV So one program in particular that was highlighted at our stakeholder call was the Maternal Child and Adolescent Adult Center in Los Angeles at University of Southern California. And they used Ryan White HIV AIDS Part D supplemental funding to implement intimate partner violence screening and counseling. And again, one tool that they implemented was the safety card, of course, developed by Futures Without Violence, um, Mm -hmm. which is a simple conversation starter that can be used to discuss and screen for IPV. So in terms of like the specific examples that are, you know, how people are actually using that money, it really varies by jurisdiction depending on what their needs Mm -hmm. are in their community. But the good news is that the legislation and the way that the, um, the program funding is written. It gives clinics, um, you know, the latitude to be able to utilize those funds to draft and provide a service that really meets the needs of individuals in their in their respective communities. Mm, excellent.
1: That's that kind of uh, flexibility is so needed. So, how mm-hmm. else can uh, maybe, what is your guidance or advice for community health centers or or other programs that t- to strengthen their collaborations with community-based organizations or other partners? to, to in order to extend health services, you know, um, you know, some things come to mind, but I'm I'm curious what what you all sort of want to support. You know, I in, instantly I think. Of things like you know community events and um, mobile health, mm-hmm. because that is a that's most deliberately kind of meeting people where they are. But what other kinds of how can community health centers strengthen their collaborations, their partnerships with community organizations mm-hmm. to do this?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. So, I mean, I mentioned earlier that I feel like our Part D program in particular, it really does consider like all aspects of like medical and and social support needs. So it really does um, address like all the social determinants of health plus the medical component. But the Ryan White HIV AIDS program, all of our programs, but the Part D program, which we're discussing today, um, our program is payer of last resort, which means that All other, you know, payer sources, insurance sources need to be, um, like, tapped into before Ryan White funds can be utilized. So there's some restrictions on that. Um, And oftentimes, um, you know, that limitation really is what's driving the need for partnering and collaboration across various sectors. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that I feel like the the collaboration and, you know, partnering, I think we need uh, creation of housing services for individual clients or families to support, let's say, for example, a trans- transition of women to safe havens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, we, you know, you have limited funds within a particular program, um, but like, how could we... Um, Create like multiple funding streams across community health centers, um, you know, other like academic partners, like other Mm -hmm. primary care providers and social support services that are in that particular area that are meeting this unique need. Um, You know, like one population that I think of in particular, as we think about intimate partner violence and just violence in general, are transgender women. Who often have challenges finding inclusive or safe spaces, like safe housing spaces. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think community health health clinics, health centers, could potentially partner with the houseball communities in their respective jurisdictions if they have those, you know, access to those, um, you know, individuals who are. Kind of the uh, the keepers of those those safe spaces mm-hmm. for the trans community, um, partnering with them to figure out how they can create and combine their funds to create inclusive and safe spaces for you know trans and gender diverse communities.
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's
0: mm-hmm. one way. Um, the other thing is like within every HIV system, I feel like our case managers are are often very overloaded by their high caseloads. Um, and I think sometimes, um, just trying to balance that is, is challenging and that might, um, create some unintended, uh, barriers to accessing care, especially care that relates to, you know, support services. Mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, partnering around, um, you know, partnering to find new and innovative ways to, Um, extend the role of the case manager, so maybe um, having more engagement from laypersons in the community, um, people from the impacted community or the community of interest, and um, partnering with them on how they could be extenders of case managers to provide additional support. Um, Mm -hmm. So so those are two examples, but definitely we we need greater collaboration between community-based organizations. Um, and also primary medical centers and then in law enforcement agencies as well, especially again when we think about intimate partner violence and creating safe spaces for you know people who are who are at risk and vulnerable
1: mm. Thank you so much for lifting up the close attention to culturally specific community based partners, whether it 's meeting the needs of queer and trans folks, and we can extend that to immigrant folks or people who don't use predominantly English like there's just so many layers of good partnership we can build to improve Mm -hmm. the social supports in our in our community health centers um thanks for lifting that up and I think when it comes to extending HIV care and strengthening that continuum of care in a sense like making a tighter web um underneath people it's very similar to what we say about providing extended care to survivors beyond the time in the shelter, beyond the time accessing certain specific services. So, um, a lot of parallels here and extremely important to pay close attention to the kind of partnership and who you're partnering with and how that partnership is cultivated and, and developed. So appreciate that. Absolutely.
0: Mm -hmm. But but can I, I, there's just like one more thing that I want to to say about this. Um, you know, I mean, everybody, those of us who've been doing this work for a long time, we know that HIV historically has been known as a sexually transmitted infection. But it is equally as much of a socially transmitted condition in that mm-hmm. it is the outcome of intersectional stigma, discrimination, poverty, structural racism and more. And so when we think about how we can continue to expand that web of support, you know, around this continuum, you know, I think we also have to think about job training programs that are going to connect women and trans women and other survivors of abuse to jobs that pay a living wage, especially Mm -hmm. now as we're in, you know, the throes of a recession and inflation and things like that. Um, so it's, it's not enough to just, like, do a screening to say, okay, you, you, know, you meet the, the definition of someone who's at risk for intimate partner violence, but what are we going to do, like you said, beyond the shelter, right? So we need ongoing training and education, you know, to, um, to give people access to things that's going to continue to help them survive outside of those, um, those supports and safety nets that, that are in place mm-hmm. right now.
1: Mm, I love that. Thank you so much for adding that. It's you're absolutely right. It's essential. Survival is so much more than that moment <laughs> that mm-hmm. risk that uh, that that a person might take. Um, excellent. So I kind of I mean it's hard to wrap a conversation like this, but I would love to hear from you your thoughts mm-hmm. on what is the one thing I like to ask this at the end of an episode. What is the one thing? Well, I have one more question I like to ask, Mm -hmm. but this is the one thing that you want listeners to take away from this conversation. Mm -hmm. That's like, you know, if they're a a community health center, considering applying for party funds or a community based organization that's trying Mm -hmm. to build a relationship with a community health center to get party funds so that they can really be thinking about HIV and intimate partner violence in a more Mm -hmm. deliberate way. What's Mm -hmm. something that you want to make sure they walk away with from this conversation?
0: Well, I think one point I already made about just, you know, how we think about uh, HIV and think about all of the factors that um, increase risk for and that, um, you know, kind of reinforce all of the other like isms, (laughs) you know, discrimination, Mm -hmm. stigmas and everything, um, and how we need to expand beyond thinking about HIV only as this medical condition. But, you know, with respect to our Ryan Way HIV AIDS Part D program, you know, while our programs fund an array of comprehensive primary and medical support services to people with HIV across the lifespan, you know, in order for this program to fully be successful and, and, you know, achieve its ultimate goal of providing access to comprehensive care. You know, our program is only going to be most effective if we have committed and consistent collaboration across community agencies, universities, federal agencies, and community-based organizations. And even within the National HIV AIDS Strategic Plan, you know, they talk about the need for integrating services and partnering for results. And I think sometimes, um, and not again intentionally, but just because of how systems are structured, um, a lot of work is done in silos. Um, And I think a lot of times when that work is done in silos, it actually kind of further, um, you know, adds to the disparities that we see in certain populations. So I think that piece about just partnering for results um, mm-hmm. at every level when possible and being very intentional about bringing in the affected community to the table um, to create, you know, um, programs and systems that um, really meet their needs. So let it, allowing it to be um, person-centered and, and driven by the community. So that would be my takeaway.
1: Excellent. Beautiful. Yes. Let the, let the people most impacted lead us yes, in the direction exactly. we need to go. Yeah, nothing exactly. about, about us without us. Right. Super. I
0: like that quote. Thank you.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so my last question is actually a little more personal. What is bringing mm-hmm. you joy these days? I like to yeah. humanize the conversation a little right.
0: bit. Right. <laughs> so these days, I'm finding joy in the smallest moments. And like now that the weather is, improving you know taking long walks outside and just being more Mm -hmm. in tune with nature um really soaking up the sun so long outdoor walks having more quality time with my children and and reading a good book um Mm. I I was kind of late reading Becoming by Michelle Obama um, because life was just happening and I was so busy juggling so many balls Mm -hmm. but when I finally had a chance to, like, sit down and read it, it, like, took me forever because there were so many, like, quotes mm-hmm. and just, like, passages that I just really wanted to resonate and to reflect on. Um, so just having that opportunity and space to just really not just kind of gloss over a book, but to really think about what what I'm reading, how that um, impacts me and how that can make me be um, a better person and more thoughtful and conscious person. And so... Those, those would be my my Excellent. takeaways for what's bringing me joy these days. Thank
1: you. We will put um, Dana's Rex in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> and anything else we talked about, certainly how to access um, more information about Part D funds. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for Thank your time, you. Dana, your brilliance, your expertise, your wisdom. Um, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you all so much. Thanks for joining us today on Expanding the Continuum, brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the National Network to End Domestic Violence. If you like our show and want to know more about addressing the intersections of HIV and intimate partner violence, visit us online at ipvhealth.org and at nnedv.org. Thanks for listening.
0: This episode was co-sponsored by Health Partners on Intimate Partner Violence and Exploitation, a project of Futures Without Violence, and funded by HERSA's Bureau of Primary Healthcare to provide free training and technical assistance to health centers on the topics of intimate partner violence, human trafficking, and exploitation. Our toolkit for health centers, ipvhealthpartners.org, includes an MOU template for building new partnerships like we discussed in today's episode. Learn more about our resources and programs and join our newsletter by visiting www.healthpartnersipve.org.